And we extend a very warm welcome to everybody this morning on behalf of Stornoway Free Church. And we pray that we will know God's blessing through the reading, through the preaching, and through the singing of his word. And we're going to begin by singing from Psalm 112. This is from Sing Psalm, Psalm 112. We're going to sing verses 1 to 8. Praise God, blessed is the man who fears the Lord and finds delight in following his word. His children will be mighty in the land. His line will know the blessing of God's hand. Riches and wealth within his house are found. His righteousness forever will abound. The man who stands for mercy, truth and right will find the darkness turning to morning light. Good is the man who gives and freely lends. To his affairs with justice he attends. Surely a righteous man will stand secure. His memory forever will endure. So on, verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 112. <clears throat> Praise God, blessed is the man who fears the before you this morning we give thanks for your goodness and mercy we give thanks for another opportunity that you've given to us where we're able to worship you and although we are still in the confines of our own homes or wherever it is that we are engaging in this worship uh, we give thanks for the privilege of being able to uh, unite together and even although we are separate physically from one another there is a spiritual bond that cannot be broken and that distance cannot really separate because we're all one in Christ Jesus. And so we pray that you will accept our worship as we come before you and that uh, we may indeed be able to lift up our hearts to you and to give thanks to your great and glorious name because you are worthy of all praise and honour and glory. You are God above all gods. All the gods are idols dumb, which blinded nations seek. But our God is the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. He is the one who never slumbers nor sleeps. He is the one who rules and overrules all things. The, the God who is altogether righteous and just. And uh, we pray, Lord, that as we live out our days in a world that is so full of injustice, where there are so many things that go wrong, 
There are so many things that we find hard sometimes to understand or to deal with. We give thanks that a day will dawn when there will be a judgment, and where all the, right, the wrongs will be righted, and where you will exercise your sovereign control and authority over all the nations and all, all the history of this world. And we pray then that we might rest in that sure knowledge, uh, that what we don't know, we know that you know. And so we pray that we might commit our lives to you. We pray, Lord, for those who struggle under the mystery of your providence, those who have, have experienced crushing blows along the way, those, Lord, who have lost loved ones and their hearts today are sore and broken and they, they cannot really understand why, they cannot understand where really they are in just now. And we pray that into the darkness that may be their experience today, that your light will dawn, your light will shine, and that even although there might be continued grief in their heart, there might be a sense of peace in their soul that comes alone from you, and that you will put your arms around them and keep them and protect them and shield them and shelter them and uphold them and give them an assurance of your love and of your peace. We give thanks, O Lord, that we can call upon you with everything. And it's not just the great issues that we bring before you, but even the little things, the little things that worry us, the little things that we have to confess sometimes we don't even want to bother you with, the things that we think that we can sort out ourselves. And so often we learn that we can't. And so we pray that we might be going to you with everything, and everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And we're, we're told there that the peace of God, that will be the result of it, that the peace of God, uh, that, is pass, that passes knowledge, it will be our portion if this is what we do. And so we pray that as we come under your word today, that it may come with meaning, with power, with relevance, that we might be strengthened by it and encouraged by it, that you will open our hearts to receive it, that we will hear the voice of God, not the voice of man, and that we will understand that you're speaking directly to us, and that we may lay hold upon your truth, that it will nourish us and strengthen us in the way. Pray, Lord, for those who are ill at this time, so much illness about and so much uh, uncertainty by it, and we're so aware that because of COVID, uh, so many people are finding it so difficult because um, the normal run of things has halted sometimes or slowed down and uh, people may become increasingly anxious about maybe how surgery is delayed and treatments might be delayed. And so we pray that you will help all who are filled with anxiety and even a sense of dread just now. But, oh Lord, those who suffer from COVID and those who are seriously ill from it, it has been such a difficult illness to, to deal with because of all the separation that is involved in it and all the isolation that it brings. And we remember all our elderly people who have been confined to, to homes for a year, for a long, long time and haven't seen their loved ones for, for probably about a year now. Oh Lord, our God, we pray that you'll be with them. And pray for every broken heart that is a result of this illness and ask that you will piece their lives together again. Lord, we pray that this vaccine is rolled out and maybe we're beginning to see some of the benefits of it. We ask that that will continue, that we will see a greater downturn in the infections and a greater downturn in deaths so that we will see that this is indeed proving effective. We ask, Lord, that you will bless us, bless our leaders and all in authority over us, bless the NHS and bless our carers. Uh, we ask that you will be with them, all our emergency services, those who work in supermarkets, our posties, and all these people who, uh, the, the, the drivers who keep so much of the very well, as we might say, the very arteries of our uh, commerce going, who keep things uh, uh, running from day to day. Lord, bless them and keep them. Be with our leaders in, in Westminster and Holyrood and locally here in the council, often big decisions to make. Lord, may they be caught up with the main things. May they be caught up with the, with the real matters. And so often we feel as we look in on governments that they seem to be obsessed with, with things that aren't of the ultimate importance. 
And uh, we pray that it might be the important things that will preoccupy them. And we pray that correct decisions will be made, that, that they will make, which will be for our future good and which will be in keeping with thy ways and with thy laws. Because so often we see that it's a very reverse, that there is no idea of what your word says, no interest in what your word says. And in fact, there's almost an open defiance of what your word says. And that, uh, that it is, so often we see it moving in a direction which is wholly opposed to the liberties and the freedoms that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we ask that you will be with us and bless us, bless, as we say our leaders. Bless the gospel of Jesus Christ worldwide. We pray, Lord, for all our missionaries who are working away and often in difficult and in, in very trying circumstances. Remember our own Muriel, just now in Cambodia, we commit her to you and ask to protect her and help her in her work and her teaching there with the young woman there. Ask, Lord, that you will bless them. Bless, Lord, uh, all who are involved in Bible translations uh, into the language of uh, the, the people that they're working with. We give thanks, Lord, for all these abilities that are given. We give thanks, Lord, for those who who translate even within their own cultures, like in the work of the Asian Outreach. And, uh, we remember the uh, work of Duncan Peters. Remember a lot of people who work away so, ded so dedicated and faithfully. Remember Adam and commit them to your care and ask, Lord, that you will, you will indeed uh, enrich the work of the gospel uh, throughout this world. Watch over us now, we pray, and do us good, and cleanse us from our every sin, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Just a wee word to the to the young folk. This weekend, if everything had been as normal, this would be our communion weekend. And of course we know that at the communion, one of the things, or the great thing that we do, is we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because when Jesus, before he went to the cross, uh, when he was in the upper room with the disciples, after the pass, they had uh, held the Passover, he then, we had what we now know as the first Lord's Supper, where the Lord took bread and wine, and he broke the bread, and he said, take this, do this in remembrance of me, and he took the wine, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, so often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you, you show forth the Lord's death till he comes. So down throughout the years, since then, the church has always celebrated the Lord's Supper. And it would have been this weekend, right now, this is if we were back in church, we would be having the Lord's Supper just now. Now, in our own tradition here in uh, Stornoway, and it used to be, in, I suppose, in so many of the churches, but a lot of churches now don't have these things these are called communion tokens. And uh, in our own tradition here, uh, every member who sits at the, Lord table, at the Lord's table, those who come to sit at the Lord's table, are given a token. And when they come to the table, they hand the token over to one of the elders. Now, I have one of them here, and uh, it, it says very simply on the back, this do in remembrance of me. And... On the other side, it tells that it's a free church, Stornoway. But the date of this is 18, 1857. So that's a, that's a long, long time ago, 1857. That's uh, 100, is that 1857? Uh, but 164 years ago, am I right about that? Something like that. I'm going to be <laughs> Trying to work this out that I've got it right uh, all along. I'm going to stick with that. We'll go with 164. I'll work it out later. It's about that. You can, that's, that's your challenge. You work out uh, from 18, uh, what did I say, 1857 to uh, where are we? 2021. Well, that's, this is very old. And when you think, if you were to go back that number of years, uh, uh, under them, 64 years back in time, you'd say to yourself, what, that's, that's a long, long time ago. But, you know, supposing you were to go back a bit further and you were to think of Stornoway, say, 
300 years ago or 400 years ago, I bet there are very, very few things left that are three to 400 years old. Because I'm sure all the carts and all the carriages and all the uh, sort of maybe dishes or ornaments or things that people might have had back then, they've been smashed or broken or lost or whatever. And you know, nothing, nothing really lasts in this life. People often spend so much of their time about the, about the things that we have, about our, our money and our clothes and uh, about cars and houses and all the different things like that. But nothing lasts. Things that look brand new, brand new house going up next door to us, looks lovely. But you know, you come back a good few years later, it won't be lovely. Nothing lasts. A brand new car eventually will become a, a heap of rust. A brand new house will one day become a ruin. Beautiful clothes get torn and worn. Everything, it rusts or breaks or gets lost or gets stolen. All these things. And that's why the Bible tells us, don't, don't be caught up with the, with the things of life. There are more important things. Because if we go back all the way back 2,000 years ago and you say to yourself, I wonder what is left from the time of Jesus. Well, I very much doubt that. You think of Herod's palace. Where is it? The temple. Where is it? Think of all the wonderful jewels that, and the riches in Herod's palace. Where is it? I don't know. Think of uh, all the soldiers around at the time when Jesus was arrested and the, their spears, their swords, their shields. Where is that? I don't know. They might, they might find it's a great excitement if they find a shield or a sword from way back. All these things, they're, they're gone. And you say, does anything last from the time when Jesus was here? Does anything last? Where's the wood of the cross? Where's anything? But you know, there's one thing that lasts. There was something that lasted from the cross. And you know something? It's as new and as fresh and as beautiful today as it ever was. And you know what that is? It's Jesus' love. Because Jesus on the cross went there because of love. He gave his life because of love. And that love that took him to the cross, and that love that took him to die, that love is still as powerful and as real and as fresh and as new and as lasting today. It never wears out. It never gives out. Jesus' love never runs out. He never gets tired and says, you know, I've no more love. I don't have the energy to love anymore. No. Like his mercy, his love is new every morning. And I would ask you, in this world that's always changing and nothing lasts, that you would ask the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never asked him before, ask him today, to come into your heart with his love. And that that love would become, would remain in your heart, that Jesus would come and remain in your heart with the Spirit. Because it'll never run out. And it's the most wonderful thing that you could possibly have in this life is to have the never-ending love of Jesus that even death cannot take away. It's the greatest gift ever. So that's what we would have been remembering today if we were back in the church, that we would be there at the communion and we would be remembering Jesus' death until he comes again. And I hope that you will come to love the Lord Jesus and that you will follow him and that when we do get back to church that you will be able also to take your place at the table because it's a place for all the people who love the Lord Jesus. They come to remember Jesus with the bread and with the wine. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Let's read God's Word now in the book of Ruth. We go to chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4. 
And we read from the beginning, Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to her relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of a, of a testing in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and, to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Melon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers, and from the gate of, the, the, of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar, Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighbourhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then we have the genealogy of David. These are the generations, going back to Perez, who was, of course, a son of Tamar and Judah. So it's not, it's only about eight or nine generations back when you think uh, Judah was a son of Jacob. So it's, there isn't a huge distance. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading of his own holy word. Let us, I want us really to consider, if we're going to home in on anything, it's verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Now as we move quickly through this book, uh, we are really coming to the climax of the story, this in the book of Ruth, 
And we see throughout the story so clearly the providence and the grace and the love of the mercy and the mercy of God is also clearly displayed for us. Now remember last week that we saw Ruth coming back from her midnight meeting uh, with Boaz. And she told the whole story to Naomi. And Naomi says, look, it's all coming together. What you have to do, Ruth, is just stay still. That's what we see at the end of verse of chapter 3. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And again, uh, we see, we remember we highlighted there that that's often one of the very hardest things that we're required to do in the Christian faith is to stay still, to stand still, to wait for God to work. And I'm sure as we look back over our lives, we rebuke ourselves for the number of times that we have got in the way of God. Because, yes, of course, we have to be active. We have to be working for God. And in fact, if, the, if, we get, if there's any charge against us, it may be lack of working for the Lord. But we have to work for the Lord in this world. We have to work at what God gives us, even with regard to ourselves and the whole dealing with all the, 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 the sin and the lusts that are within us. I'm seeking to put these things to death. That's all part of what we have to deal with. However, there are periods where we have to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. When God has begun a work, we can get in the way of it. And in order to see his hand, we have to often stand back. And But it's not idleness. We are actively engaged, prayerfully, seeking his grace. We need, you know, as we need loads of grace when we're waiting for it. But if you hand something to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I'm asking you to do this for me. I can't do it myself. I don't know what to do. But Lord, I'm giving it to you. Well, if you've given it to the Lord... You and I have to learn to wait upon the Lord. And you know something, if you do that, he'll, he'll, he'll give you the grace and he'll give you the faith to believe and to wait. Though there'll be times that you feel, I can't wait any longer. And when you give something to the Lord, quite often he'll take you to the very end. And you think, oh, come on, Lord, what have, have you forgotten? No, he hasn't. You've given it to him. And so this is why it's so important to learn to wait upon God, because so often we're bad uh, at, at actually waiting for him. So anyway, we, we see in chapter 4 here that Boaz is now taking charge of things. <clears throat> and the thing is, Boaz is going to do everything right. He's an honest man, a decent man, a good man. He's very well high, highly thought of in the community. And he's somebody who feared God, and he's going to do it God's way. And so there's a there's an honesty and a rightness about what he does, but he is still a shrewd operator. And we'll see that in a moment because you know the expression where you don't put all your cards on the table. Well, that's the kind of person Boas is. He does everything in the right way, but he's still a shrewd operator. And we'll see it. We'll just follow through the narrative before we apply it spiritually because it is full of spiritual meaning. So we find Boaz, that he's gone up to the, to the gate. And the gate of the city was a very important place, because the elders, that's where the elders of the city went, and the senior respected men, they sat there. And that's where the big decisions of the day were made, and where uh, uh, sort of laws were passed, and where discussions were held. And uh, you would often, it was part of people would say, the gate decided this. Or let us ask advice at the gate. This is where you went when you wanted to, to have a, something sorted out or there was an issue or a problem within the community. You went to the gate of the city where the elders and the respected men and they would, they would try and work out uh, the solution. So the gate passed it. Uh, we, we sought advice at the gate. And I think there might be a hint of this but more than a hint of it, when remember when Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's where all the plans and the ideas and the schemes of hell, all that, that hell has passed in order to destroy my church, it won't. 
Nothing from hell will ultimately destroy or break my church. That's what Jesus is saying. So Boaz sat down at the gate. And as we said, he was a hugely respected man in the community. But he's playing it cool. And it's very obvious that uh, Boaz really was in love with Ruth. And Boaz, we know deep down, he really wanted to marry Ruth. And as Redeemer, it was a a lovely, as we saw last week, it's this system where the closest relative would be given the opportunity to buy back the land that belonged to that relative. Uh, And this would help family and widows who couldn't provide or do for themselves. And that was the case because Boaz was very closely related to Elimelech, Naomi's husband. So he could act as a redeemer, where he, and he had the money, he could do it, where he could buy back the land and buy back for, uh, for Naomi. But there was a problem. There was one person in the community who was even he was closer related even than Boaz. And Boaz said, I have to give this man first opportunity. And so Boaz gathered uh, ten men round. This man passed, this man who was the closest redeemer, he passed. And uh, Boaz shouted to him, hey, come on over here. And he called uh, all these ten men witnesses. And he, he said to him, look, I'm giving the opportunity. Remember Naomi, Naomi who had gone down to Moab, and remember how she went down with her husband and the boys, and they married and so on. And remember how we heard about uh, all the the bereavement they had when Naomi came back. And she is needing the Redeemer to buy back the land. You're the closest. Will you buy back? Will you redeem the land? That's what... what he's asking uh, in, in, in verse four, if you tell me you will redeem it and he said you know I, I think there would have been a real sharp intake of breath at this very moment see in verse 5 uh, he's asking you in verse 4 so I thought I would tell you of it and say buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it except me. I will come after you. And I think there would be a sharp intake of breath at this moment because the man says, yes, yes I'll redeem it. You can almost hear Boaz go, oh, oh, no. Because if the man bought the land, that was the end of Ruth as far as Boaz was concerned, but this is where Boaz is shrewd. Because Boaz then comes in and he says, that's fine. But he said, part of the deal is that not only do you buy the land, but you have to take Ruth, the widow of Malan, to be your wife to raise up an inheritance. And man says, oh, no, 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 that's not on. Because if I, if I marry Ruth and we have have a farm, then that's going to spoil my inheritance. No, no, I'm out of this. You do it if you want. If you want to do it, Boaz, you do it. I give you permission. I'm out of this. This is music to Boaz's ears. It's worked out just exactly in the way that he hoped. But we know that, of course, God is working through it all. And now Boaz is legitimately free to purchase the land and to take Ruth, who the previous chapter had said, you're a redeemer, spread your wings over me. In other words, she's saying, will you take the land and take me to be your wife? And so we have this beautiful picture. So here it is, it's all coming together. But we've got to see these as spiritual truths as well. Because this redeemer, used to term it the kinsman redeemer, this redeemer the only person who could buy back had to be somebody who was a relative, a close relative. And when we apply that spiritually, Jesus Christ is termed our Redeemer. To redeem is to buy back what once belonged to you, or what was once in your possession. 
And that's who we are, the human race. We were made by God in the image of God. We turned away from God. That image was shattered, lost, just broken in, in, in a million pieces. But God is going to buy back. And that is how Jesus is termed the Redeemer. But in order to become a Redeemer, he had to become a relative and to become a close relative. And the only way he could become a close relative was by taking our nature, becoming one like us. Not just the appearance of a human, but actual flesh and blood and bones and humanity, everything. In fact, Jesus was absolutely the very same as us in all points except without sin, in everything else. That's quite extraordinary, but he had to be in order to be our Redeemer. And you know, when he took that human nature, he took it forever. He didn't just take it for 33 years until he was put to death and put into the grave. When he rose from the grave, he rose in the body that he was put into the grave with. The same body that walked this world was the body that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, of course, that body, Jesus, has ascended into glory. But he is there still as our Redeemer. Yes, his body is filled with all the glory and the splendor and the beauty and the splendor and the magnificence of who Jesus as our Redeemer is today is so great that no human can look on it without, well, Saul of Tarsus, remember, saw the risen Saviour, fell to the ground as one dead. John the, Bab John, uh, the Apostle saw in, in, in Revelation, that vision he was given of Jesus, he fell as one dead. See, we, we in, our, in our human nature couldn't look at that glory. But in glory, we would be like him. We too would share in that glory. So this is a beauty. Jesus became our Redeemer. But not only had the Redeemer to be a close relative, the Redeemer had to be able to pay the price. And you see, that's what the Redeemer did. The Redeemer did for the family what they couldn't do for themselves. Naomi and Ruth had no resources. They couldn't purchase a land. They had, they had nothing. Their pockets were empty. They were, remember, the only food they could get was what Ruth was able to glean and what Boaz, the gifts that Boaz gave. They were struggling. They couldn't, they hadn't, didn't have the wherewithal. That's exactly the same with you and me. We do not have the resources. We do not have anything that enables us to go to God and say, Lord, you know, I deserve to, to be saved. I deserve glory. I don't, actually, I don't need a Savior. I don't need a Redeemer. I'm okay myself. I've done this. I've done that. Look at the, the, the Christian home I came, I came from. I had a really good grandfather who was a godly man or a godly granny. Surely that will do me. I read the Bible. I pray. I give to good causes. I give to the church. Surely that will do. God says, no. Well, these are all good things. But that doesn't save you. That doesn't make you right with me. There's only one thing. And that is accepting the work of the Redeemer. Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. He alone is able to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. And so Jesus has all the vast resources and he is able alone to pay. But there's another wonderful thing about the Redeemer. The Redeemer is not only a close relative. The Redeemer not only has the resources, but the Redeemer must be willing. Because remember in the story here, the first Redeemer, he wasn't willing. Yes, he wanted, the, he wanted the land, but he didn't want Ruth. So he was a Redeemer who chose not to. He wasn't willing. And Boaz is here, of course, as the picture of Christ. He is willing. Boaz, that's why the church has always looked on this story as a picture of Christ and his church. And Boaz was willing. Boaz could pay the price. Boaz was a close relative. And Boaz was willing. And so was Christ. Jesus was willing. 
Oh, there was a time on earth when it filled him with dread what he had to do. He said, to do thy will, I take delight. That's what he said to the Lord, to his father. But there was a point where he said, Lord, if it's possible, if it's possible, let that this cup pass from me. But not my will, but thy will be done. And you know, that's one of the things that maybe today you're going through a really difficult time and you do, do not understand the will of God. It's painful for you. Right now, God's will is extremely painful. Go to the Lord Jesus and tell him about it because he knows how painful the will of God can be. He asked if it was possible. Is it possible, Lord? Is it possible, my Father, that this might pass from me that I don't have to drink this cup where he was going to have to go to the cross and bear the incredible weight of our sin upon himself. So Jesus understands when we struggle with God's will. So if you're struggling with God's will today, go and tell Jesus about it. Because he's been there. He understands. And so we find that the Redeemer is somebody who is willing. And that's who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He's our willing saviour. He was willing on his own part. This was a joy that was set before him while he endured the cross. He was willing to the Father to do thy will, I take delight, he said to the Father. He was willing on our behalf to do it. And you know, the beauty of Jesus is he's a redeemer who is so totally different to the redeemer that wouldn't buy the land. Why would the first redeemer not buy, buy uh, the land and take Ruth? Because it would mar his own inheritance. It would spoil his own inheritance. He wasn't prepared to in any way spoil what he was a, his own inheritance. How different to Jesus. Because by what he has done, he is bringing us into his inheritance. He is giving us everything. He is sharing everything with us. This is the wonder and the beauty of the whole, the whole way of salvation. Because you know, everything that Ruth, everything that Boaz was purchasing, he was giving to Ruth. Ruth was going to share everything. You know, one of the, one of the things I, 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 I love about this, of course, there's a deep-rooted love in the heart of Boaz for Ruth. And I believe in Ruth for Boaz. But you know, all the way along, Ruth has always been referred to as Ruth the Moabite. But now she becomes Boaz's wife. She's got a new name. The Moabitess part is no longer. She's now integrated fully into Israel. And you know, that's what happens when we accept Jesus Christ. We're given a new name. Yes, we're called Christians, but we're also the bride of Christ. We have been taken into a union with Jesus Christ. He's bought us as his bride. He's paid the price as his bride. And we will be his bride until we are eventually taken to glory into this wonderful inheritance that he has for us. And as we said before, in glory, the bride becomes the lamb's wife. There's this wonderful picture given to us with the fullness of marriage and all that's involved. Just as Boaz took Ruth to be his wife, so Christ is taking us to be his wife as well. And so there was this, as we say, given this, this new name. And God blessed Ruth and Boaz. He blessed them with, with this son called Obed which means serving. And you see the great joy that was brought into that home. Here's our home that had been so much pain, so many tears. And that sorrow has turned to joy. Weeping may for a night endure, at morn doth joy arise. The days of thy mourning shall be ended, as the scripture says. Not that they, that they would ever forget Malan and Gillian and Elimelech. But God had turned things round for them. And Naomi, who said, Oh, don't call him. I'm, I'm, I'm bitter. 
Don't call me Naomi, which is pleasant anymore. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I'm mad at Oh no, you're back, you're back to Naomi now. And here is this. She's now got the role as it were of a granny. And she's happy. She's bouncing this little baby in her lap. Her future is bright once again. God has given her. The women of Israel are there. And they're Bethlehem. And they're surrounding Naomi. And say, see how good God has been to you. And he's blessed you. Wonderful daughter-in-law. See her, her love. And look at you. can now good pause. And now you get the little Obed. And as we know. In God's wonderful, mysterious providence. When we see this display of his grace, when he reaches right out into Moab, the land that was despised and hated by Israel. And here's Ruth, who's now the great, the great granny, is it the great granny of great, great granny of, 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 of King David? You have uh, Obed, who was so... She, Ruth is a, is, a, is a granny of Jesse and the great granny of King David. Isn't that amazing? But as we said before, it doesn't end there. Because when we follow the line, the human line through which Jesus came, it's through, this is a line, direct line all the way down. And it comes through Judah, Judah and Tamar. Tamar, you know, there's, there's a... There's a this is one of the extraordinary things where we see the, where God's good. God doesn't deal the way that we do. God is so forgiving. God overrules things. Four of the women in that line that Jesus came, Tamar, and see the illicit relationship with her father-in-law, where Paris came as part of the line. Then you come to to uh, Rahab, Rahab the prostitute, remember her in Jericho? She integrated into the house. She's part of the line that Jesus came from. It's, it's amazing. Follow the line down. And there we have it. We, 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 we come to uh, here to, to Ruth from Moab, a country that Israel weren't to have anything to do with. She's part of the line of Jesus. David and Bathsheba, yes, Bathsheba, the woman that he entered into an adulterous relationship with before she became his wife. But remember, after they married, Solomon was his son. It's that through the line. And you know, if it teaches us anything, it teaches us the grace of God. You know, we're so judgmental. We would, if we were writing this, these people, Tamar would never be there. Bathsheba would never be there. More, uh, Ruth would never be there. We, we would say, oh, no, no, we can't have that. But you know that God's grace, God's grace is all-powerful. God's grace is able to wipe the slate clean. God's forgiveness knows no bounds in Jesus Christ. No, uh, no bounds as far as we can understand. May we learn from this. And may we seek then to, to have the spirit of forgiveness that this teaches us. To have the spirit of grace that this teaches us. So that we won't be so condemning. Because God's purposes are often beyond our, are, are so far beyond our understanding. As he says, his ways and his thoughts are so much higher even than the, the heavens are from the earth. This is a beautiful story that speaks to us of God's love and God's grace. And may we know, every single one of us, what it is to have Christ as our Redeemer, when he has saved us, and cleansed us, and brought us in to share in his inheritance forever. We're going to conclude by singing from Psalm 115, in the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 115, and we will sing, from verse 12 to the end, the Lord of us, the Lord of us have mindful been, and he will bless us still. He will the house of Israel bless, bless Aaron's house, he will. And so on to the end of the psalm, Psalm 115, from verse 12 to the end, the Lord of us have mindful been.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.